Hello everyone. I'm Nokilika Kumar, the host of Selecta podcast. This podcast is dedicated to inspire and empower women to pursue an excellence in career by filling the gender gap, to live to the fullest of her potential and to achieve financial independence. I will be interviewing amazing successful women sales leaders and entrepreneurs from India and around the globe. Where we discuss their sales journey, their challenges, their wins, and much more. Let's dive in. Today, I welcome my special guest, Michelle Barkers. So, Michelle uh, is a DA certified sales confidence igniter at the Michelle Barker Enterprise, and she's authentic selling crusader. She's a sales coach at Harvard Business School, keynote speaker, co-founder. at shift co demand generation master and she is a co-author for recently launched heels to deal so we'll going to discuss everything in detail welcome yeah. michelle <laughs> thank you for having me uh pravaga it's so good to be here we were uh it's interesting that when i got on i originally thought that that first chat we had we were live sounds <laughs> we were live but we were saying that it's morning here for me It's 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm here in Dallas, Texas, and you are. What time is it for you? It's 7:30 p.m. Yeah, yeah. So, yep. It's uh, the fact that we're globally connected is absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's true. And for the one uh, mission, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, first, my question is like, you have 25 years in. Uh, sales okay like how the journey started because being a woman of color i know it's it's not that easy because it's a similar case in yeah. india like more and more women coming into sales it's a challenge so how it all started well interestingly i didn't start my journey in sales my uh, background or my degree is in finance and i actually went to college although my father owned a business and i worked with my father and i did a lot of work around biz <laughs> with him right he taught me uh, some things early on but i actually went to college after brief stint i don't, i don't many people don't know i'm formally incarcerated so um i ended up doing some things and getting in trouble following some people that you know that that saying <laughs> are the company you keep and jim rohn says we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with my insecurities caused me to hang out with people who were not as savory um i went and started working i went back on my degree in finance because i thought that if i got a degree in finance i'd always have a job so that was mm-hmm. my focus was to stay okay. employable and always have a job I found that I was bored senseless. <laughs> not that anybody doing finance if you love it that's your your thing. Analytics was not where I found I enjoyed talking to people more than mm-hmm. learning about people's diverse background, their interests, the things that I I really what I really loved the most was learning about what made people excited. And through the connection with a entrepreneur who was brought in to do some team building She saw me and she she offered me a free consultation. She was like, "No charge. I would love to work, give you some free time wow. on some career coaching." And that's how I ended up realizing doing Briggsmeyer. It said that sales was one of the things, and I went into sales. And I did not do well initially in sales. Okay, I did it's normal. <laughs> really, really bad. Like I started looking for a finance and accounting job again. I did so bad initially in sales. 
Okay. You mentioned exciting. You know, you want to understand what is excited. What is that excited you getting into sales? What excited me about sales was the variety. The variety of people that I got to meet every day. It was that every day was different. I wasn't going to the same cubicle or to the same driving up to the same parking lot, you know, walking into the same two doors every single day after day. Every day was new. And every person was a new experience because even if I had a route and I saw you once a week or once every other week or once a month, something had transpired in your life since the last time I saw you. And I was always excited to hear about what was exciting in other people's life, aside from the products that I was selling. My focus was has always been on the humans, right? On the people behind the sale. What, what, you know, that the fact that I get this opportunity to sell a product that gets me allows me to interface with interesting people. Wow. I think that's most uh, important, right? Like you have to understand the prospect, add value to the prospect. Then I think everything falls in place. Exactly. Exactly. And that was one of those interesting where, so my first job in sales was I sold Yellow Pages advertising, which is probably dating myself, right? <laughs> so I sold <laughs> like that, the phone book, which doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Right? I sold those ads and I worked in, um, I worked out of New York City and I was the five boroughs of New York. At the time, Queens County was the most diverse, ethnically diverse county in the United States. So working in that county, I had the opportunity to interact with so many different people of different ethnic backgrounds, different, you know, there were Hasidic, there were Greek people. There were Asian, like there were people who were Hindu, there, like all of these amazing people. And I got to learn so many things about what brought them to the United States, you know, what drove them to be an entrepreneur on their own businesses, what they like, what they love. And it really had me to just realize that people are pretty much the same. They want the same things in life. Right. And I also, you know, came to understand that the people who followed and had principles and integrity and kindness and compassion as their core tenets of who they were, were some of the best people I met. And I didn't care what color they were, what their background was. They were just good people. Wow. I think that's really, you know, core in sales, I believe. The foundation of sales, it's like being integrity, having a positive mindset. Even uh, in our preparation call, we were talking like how confidence is so important. Yeah. And, you know, your title says uh, ignite the confidence. Can you yes. tell about that? Well, again, going back to that background and finding that the people who were driven by simply making money or, you know, the fear of not making their quota or making money, the tendency is to do things that would not you would not necessarily do. That wouldn't be as kind or as thoughtful or is in the best interest of the buyer because you were trying to make a number versus mm. people who were confident that even if this client didn't buy, I will still make my number. Everything is still going to work favorably. There's going to be a, a good outcome regardless, as long as I treat people with the highest of integrity and excellence, that things will constantly and consistently work in my favor. And that's the work that I do is to put people focused on the fact that as, as a human, you have this infinite ability to actually turn any circumstance into something favorable. And it requires that you first focus on that can happen. 
But most people focus on what didn't happen, what somebody didn't do, how unfair it is. I should have gotten a sale. They should have. They yeah. were going. And so they get stuck, right? It's that whole principle of when things don't work out your way or don't go the way, you have this emotion and it's a pain that almost feels like if you want to think about putting your hand on a hot stove, right? If you go to grab something and the stove is hot, what do you do? You pull your hand mm-hmm. back. However, what most people do when things don't go their way in life, and especially in sales, they just hold their hand on the stove. They tell somebody else what didn't work. So as long as you keep talking about what didn't work out, how it's unfair, how it did, they should have, would have, could have, you're holding your hand against that pain. And the only yes. way to turn it in your favor is to lift your hand and decide, right? Take care of your hand and move on. <laughs> yeah, I think it's all um, her confidence going to push her friend. She can't, uh, you know, expect others to push her forward. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's it. Looking outside of oneself. Everything we need is inside of us, right? We have, again, this power and this ability to change any in a moment, right? I think about uh, how many people who approach me and find out I'm a sales coach or a confidence coach and they're struggling with sales, the first question they ask me is how do I get more clients? Right. Mm-hmm. And for the first and I'm like, you know, that's a great question. You know, tell me about, you know, why do you want to sell? Right. And it's all it's often I want to make money. I want to buy all these things. And I'm like, so that's what you're taking into every sales conversation is your wants, your needs, mm-hmm. your desires. You have not told me anything about the buyer. Like, <laughs> like you didn't tell me one reason why you want to sell. That's buyer focus. So again, we're humans. We know you can smell and sense desperation. So you're going into every sales call desperate to get a sale instead of confident that you will deliver some value, something valuable to that buyer, regardless if they set buy or not. It doesn't matter if they buy. The whole interface of that conversation is that it's valuable to them. And that's how if they say no, they will still many times come back to you because you've left them with that good feeling. Wow, that's really profound, you know. Instead of um, asking like what I get, instead like what I'm going to give. Exactly. <laughs> Getting is one way. That's all about you, the individual, right? The person, the company. What are you getting? How am I getting more clients and getting, getting more buyers and getting more sales and more transactions versus how am I giving value to these people who are my clients, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you focus on giving value, this is how you create the term is the raving fan clients, the clients who are the ones who go tell other people about you, who come back and buy from you again, who when offered the opportunity to try another brand, they almost feel like it's cheating on you. I can't, I could never do that. I love this person that this person that I work with, right? They might even right. come tell you, that they were approached by someone else to buy from them because they want to see if there's an opportunity to negotiate pricing or whatever contract they have with you because they prefer to work with you, right? And that will only happen when you have assured them and created a relationship where they feel comfortable, they can approach you with pretty much anything. That doesn't happen on one call. That takes time. And that's what most people are willing And many companies, let's go back all the way back to the company, because the sellers are being driven by the quotas and by their sales leadership 
that they, you know, you have to get more sales. You have to get more, you know, you're looking at the statistics and the numbers versus helping people. And I'm not saying all companies, right? Many are starting to move in this direction, but helping their, their sellers to actually feel good because it actually over time creates higher close ratios, you know, higher dollar amounts to the overall sale. So more comfortable the seller is in that process of communicating with the buyers, the more benefit there is to the company overall. Since you mentioned statistics, I just want to understand now, women of color stats, can you explain now? Well, so, you know, in B2B, it's interesting, the number of the statistic ranges between about 26% all the way to, I saw one is about 32%. So it varies depending on, you know, how, when the research was done, you know, how many participants were in, where they got their pool from. So it's around that, um, we'll just average it out to about, you know, 29, 30% of women in uh, B2B sales. And then when you look at people of color, the statistic dropped dramatically to around in B2B sales, there were like around 4%. Oh my God. Only 4%? Yeah. This, is, and this is something I pulled, like after I knew I was going to talk to you, I went and did this research between now and when we had this conversation a week ago. I was just like, Lord. Yeah. Oh so I, my God. <laughs> so crazy. And I'll send it to you. But uh, sure. so it was like 3.8% B2B sales representation rates. And that's just rates. So when you take and pull extract women out of that, it's going to be, you know, less than 1%. It's really surprising. Yeah. I'm sure. not surprised based off of how few I saw <laughs> when I was in my sales role. I, there are very few people that look like me. <laughs> Just put it like oh that. Oh, my God. And how about the leadership role in that case? I didn't have enough time to look up the leadership roles, but, but it will I, be I, I, I can, you can just almost guess or assume that it's going to be dramatically lower as well. Because then when you right. start going men to women, that disparity is going to change greatly. And it's, you know, it's mostly males. It's mostly um, white men, right? Historically, but you, the history of our country is founded by white males. So, you know, women didn't vote until, you know, the 1900s, you know, we, uh, slaves, right? So, there is this backlog of people of other ethnic origin attempting to move into roles that were historically created for and by a certain group. But what is the main reason, do you think, Michelle, like this very low percentage of women in seats? What's the major reason? Mainly women of it, color. It varies. One of the things that I find that, you know, I know when I was in it, it was very, it was challenging and it was always uncomfortable. And I, I did it because I knew, like, I, I felt like if to do it well invited the opportunity for doors to open for more people. And, you know, like, you know, you were writing your book, you understand that somebody has to be first, right? <laughs> somebody and the willingness to do it. I honestly can't tell you, uh, I know that, you know, some of the stats show that most common degrees um, in B2B sales that are 67% of people who are B2B sellers have college degrees. So when you start to look at other ethnicities, we know that that number starts to decline overall for the number of people who are educated because many minorities in the United States, Hispanic and African-American don't have degrees. So that starts to wean out the pool of opportunity as well. 
right? And then you, you know, and it's interesting because they're showing overall more women have degrees than men now. So that's starting to change. So I know that the data also showed that out of all the other ethnic origins, African-American was the only one that had declined for the number of people in B2B sales over the last 10 years. You know, um, Hispanic and Asian um, and other was the how they grouped everything else had grown, but and African-American had declined. And this is, uh, you know, like I said, some of the data that I pulled where people were doing research on this because they were looking at the diversity, equity and inclusion of different industries. Will you share any any incident, like just for the audience, like what the major challenge you have faced and how you overcome it? I would say the biggest challenge for me was not knowing where to ask a question, right? Just knowing like like one of the jobs, I, one of the companies I work for, I was, it was, a, I worked in a big organization. It was uh, Thermo Fisher, owned the company that I work for, but it was a small boutique company. So the whole company had 55 employees, even though we're a part of this conglomerate, right? Thermal Fisher, right? But we had 55 employees at the time and there were about 11 of us on the sales force. I had a 10 state territory and out of the 11 of us, they were all white males than me, right? And I knew that the guys were able to be efficient. I didn't know how like, so, and, and in hindsight, one of the examples was like, talking to them, I can hear now the conversations, right? They had people doing stuff for them. So I would work and travel and then I'd go home and grocery shop and do all the little things where they were all married, right? <laughs> so <laughs> literally, with stay at home wives, right? So I was like, oh, okay. So that was something I could have hired out, right? I could have had someone doing my grocery, picking up on but it never dawned on me because in my background, coming from my background of strong women, we do everything, right? We don't, there, there's nobody in my family who ever had hired out somebody to like that butler kind of service. It wasn't even a concept that I had even heard of or thought of till later, mm -hmm. right? So having a female mentor who had done exceptionally well in sales, who was maybe single, and who know, knew how to balance a travel job and all the, the nuances of, you know, running your household at the same time would have been incredibly helpful. And that's why I like these books. And I like that you're doing so like her. And I like, you know, girls who sell and hashtag girls club there, you know, and uh, sisters in sales. Like I could list on and on all the different, you know, National Association of Women Sales Pros. I could list all these different organizations that are starting to come up. And they're giving voice and space to women to understand that even though, you know, it looks and feels hard, it's not as hard as you think it is. And it's only hard because there's no one else that looks like you that's around. So you start to think and you start to think that what you're thinking is wrong, right? Yeah. You start to think that like, you know, and you're not comfortable maybe asking somebody is what I'm thinking wrong because... There's nobody around to ask. And that's what I tell people. There are so many organizations out there now, you know, just go hashtag women in sales on LinkedIn and see all the things that come up, you know, and you can ask me a question. If you're listening to this today in the future, go and send me a, a DM, send me a message and I will either answer your question or plug you into somewhere where you can get the support you need because there is no reason why a woman cannot Oh, hey, good morning, <laughs> Archana. 
that a reason why a reason won't women won't excel because statistics and research shows Harvard Business actually has done a lot of research that women outperform men in B2B sales. That is a question by Achana. Okay. What tips can you give saleswomen who just started her journey? Tip to just start your journey is to a routine. So one of the things that I really impress upon people is your morning routine. Many people get up thinking about all the stuff they have to need to should do. They think about the stuff they didn't do yesterday. So you start your day and that's actually um, criticizing yourself. So when you think about what didn't happen or what you need to do, you're in criticism mode. Start your day doing something that inspires, empowers, ignites you. And that is that quiet time. That's that meditation. It's the journaling. It's the affirmations. It's the visualization. And every one of my clients are required to create 15-minute morning routine. It's not even negotiable. If you don't create that routine as my client, I will let you go. Because I cannot help you to become unstoppable confidence or create unstoppable confidence without the morning routine. So that's the first thing, right? And get organized about your your day-to-day, your activities and how you input your data and how you're tracking your sales and how you're following up. That because the consistency, the top performing sales reps, they are rarely the smartest people. They're just the most consistent people. So I hope that's helpful. Find a mentor and a and a or in a group where you can talk about the struggles. Because sales is one of the hardest jobs there are. And people really don't talk about how hard it is because it's emotionally difficult. You're dealing with rejection, you're dealing with self-criticism. And until you get somewhere where you can start turning all of that, where it repels off of you instead of just enters into you, it's always going to be a struggle. And one question is, uh, see, in India, even uh, for a woman to getting into sales, family support also plays an important role. I want to understand even for uh, women of color in other countries, I don't think for a U.S. that would be a big issue, a family support. But here it is an issue. And what about uh, your country? Well, I I can't speak for all women and the support of sales. Uh, here it is a, it depends on what your background is. So for women with kids, it will be challenging to have a job that takes you takes you out of the household or that is a travel. Right now with tech sales, there's so much opportunity to create income from home. Right. And that's, I think, where you're finding a lot of um, many women, especially during COVID, many women started to gravitate to the to the sales and many companies found that they could be just as successful, not better because their expenses went down of how having to like have offices for all these people and instead have people working from home. And they saw the performance increase as well. So I'm a believer that it's never the circumstances. It's always what you think about the circumstances. We have uh, human beings have an infinite, unlimited capability to turn any circumstances into something favorable. When you start to focus on how can I make this work in my favor? As long as you keep thinking it's a problem, it can't be anything but a problem. I can't make you believe it's not a problem if you're thinking it's a problem. The first thing to do is to say, okay, this is a challenge for me to grow myself. For me to expand my creativity, my thought process, 
right? Because that's how we, we become better humans is by facing the challenge. And one of the things I'll say this and I'll, I'll, I'll you know, go on is when you sell, a, a true seller is a solution. So you're solving whatever you, if it's a product, if it's a program, right? If it's a service, you're offering a solution to someone else's problem, someone else's challenge. So you have basically invited into your life that I will be a solution. A solution is only needed when there's a problem. So most sellers actually end up having a lot of what they feel like are more problems in their life because you are being invited by God, universe, divine, Buddha, whatever you want to call it, you're being invited to get more creative and mm. innovative in how you think overall, just every day, right? So when you start accepting those challenges as opportunity to ignite your creativity, you'll be amazed at how little things start that they, they stop bothering you because you'll just start to invite them. You're like, ah, oh, okay, this is interesting. How am I going to work this out in my favor today? Whereas everybody else is whining and complaining. Uh, Achana asked one question, like what's your memorable achievements? I have many. <laughs> like for me, most memorable achievements for me are when I'm faced with something that feels like it's impossible, right? And that I literally turn in favor. One of the most favorable things I remember that's coming top to mind is I worked at one company. I had won the sales master's trophy. I had won the rep of the quarter for four out of the prior six quarters. For basically a year and a half, right, for four out of the last six quarters, I had won, and then I won President's Trophy year over year. And my manager was promoted to a director of marketing, and then he wanted to bring me down to, I think he was a VP or whatever. He was bringing me down. I can't remember the exact title and role, but he wanted mm -hmm. me to get promoted with him. And... When I went to go get promoted, it was not an environment that would have been favorable for me to work in, right? So this is where it was all males. It was all males in the South. <laughs> I like the energy was immediately very different from anything I experienced. And, and I'm a very positive person and I can immediately feel energy that's not aligned. But I still interviewed and I went back and I didn't get the job. And other people were like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, why? Why are you sorry? Why, one, I don't like I, I really can't stand when people tell me they're sorry, because what you're what you're putting towards me is negative energy. And I, I and I'm like, I'm working every day to repel negativity. And now you're keeping it on me. I believe that everything works in my favor. So not getting it was a favorable thing to me. And it didn't mean and I was wanting to relocate to Texas to be close to family because my parents had relocated here and my sister was here. And so the next company that I worked at, um, I would have gone, I actually, they had a, when I went to the training, the second week of training, they talked about the president's trophy and they talked about the sales master's trophy. The sales master's trophy was this elusive trophy that you had to hit your number three years in a row. Less than 3% of the sales force had ever gotten the sales master trophy and less than 1% wow. of the sales force ever got it in the first three years. Wow. So I remember sitting there and clearly going, I'm going to win that trophy and I'm going to win in the first three years because wow. then they have to transfer me to Texas. <laughs> that was Super. my thought. They'll have to transfer me to Texas. And I said it in that moment and then I totally forgot about it. 
And so coming around the third year, that November, because our fiscal year ended in December 31st, my supervisor, who was a female, the one who had hired me, she was absolutely amazing. Brandy Spatz, she was absolutely amazing. She came to me and said, I don't want to jinx you. <laughs> when you hit your number, you're going to win sales masters this year. And I was wow. like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And, you know, that's something that really, you know, motivates uh, in sales specifically. If you achieve the numbers, if you get the trophies, I think that's what motivates. That's the beauty of sales, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So, again, it was that. And so, for me, the, the, the recognition was my goal was to get to Texas. My goal was to have a company transfer me to Texas so that I moved here employed, right? I was not moving to Texas then going to look for a job. I was moving here completely employed. So not only did I win sales masters, I actually relocated to Austin, Texas, and I relocated with a promotion. I went into the next role, which was I became the comptroller, our manufacturing plant that was in Austin, Texas. Yeah. And I got paid full relocation and a bonus and all the things. It was absolutely amazing. So it was way better than the last one. Right. And yeah. I think once you start uh, proof, you know, I think the opportunity keeps coming. It's just a start, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you know, Archana, just know that's. And so for me, it's that morning routine. People ask me, how are you so positive? How do you smile? The most uh, common comment I get from many people who get to know me over time is, oh, my God, you really are that happy. <laughs> They're shocked. Like that. I get that all the time because after they're around me and around me, they go, oh, my God, you like really are that happy because <laughs> I guess they think wow. it's not real. My background, I have been diagnosed with suicidal ideation twice in my life. So there's oh two times God. in my life where I was so depressed, where I was thinking about ending my life. So this, what you see, is intentional. It is every single day I wake up without fail. My morning routine is non-negotiable because I know if when I don't do it, my mind will, what I, then the next thing I'll think about is I'll look at social media, which will make me depressed because everybody else is doing so awesome. So they show, right? Or I start looking at my calendar and I'm like, I got all this stuff to do. It is, I spend time reminding myself every morning that I am amazing, that I am worthy, that I, I ignite confidence, that I am a gift, right? And I get to give this gift to the world. That's how I start my day without fail every single morning. Wow. See, since you said the depressed moment, what is that one thing made you to overcome the depressed? When you say one thing, I don't know if it was one thing, it was my faith. So I'm raised Christian, right? So, you know, I'm more spiritual now. Like you hear me say, God, divine, Buddha, Allah, universe, because I believe like there's something greater and that we all partake of this greatness and it's in all of us and it's what unites all of us. But it was my faith at the time, I still believed in hell (laughs) as a different place that you went when you die. (laughs) So now I actually believe that people live in hell when they don't align with their gifts. They're living, a, they're thinking life is hard and difficult and a struggle. And that in itself is a form of hell. Instead of actually believing that and understanding that your mentality, your thoughts create your reality. So when you start to think thoughts that this is working in my favor, this is, you know, I belong here, right? I have a right. This is my birthright. That's when things start working. And it's what allows you 
to be more gracious. Not many people want to argue and try to force their way into this is what I deserve versus understanding that when you truly believe that you are an abundant being, you do not need to argue. Very true. Kavita is putting a message. So her question is, I wanted to know your perspective. Often I have felt men who are immediate senior to me are little insecure with me. How should that be dealt with? Oh, yeah. So when you say they're insecure with you, is it because you are smarter than them? Or, right, so I find that interesting because in here in the United States, it's, all, it's the opposite. <laughs> men who are often immediate senior supervisors to us often are in women find them intimidating right and so i actually eat neutralized so anybody that i work with or for all i want to know is what excites them i make them my I, i create advocates and alliance with anybody that's in my immediate sphere of the work that i do right i neutralize them and i appreciate one of the things that people don't understand is that The minute reason most people feel insecure or inadequate is because they have told themselves something negative and the quickest way to turn that around is to appreciate them. Find something specific and authentic to appreciate them and you'll neutralize them and it helps their confidence grow so you actually bring them back up. So if somebody feels insecure, they feel less than you. Your role as the person higher up is to bring them up, to lift them up. And then you will get so much more from that person. Oh my God. They will, that, those people, those are, uh, there's a quote by Maya Angelou. People rarely remember what you did. They often forget what you said. They never, ever forget how you make them feel. So when you can have someone feel appreciated, feel smart, feel grip, what, when you do things like that, they will be your advocate. So even when you're not in the room, they will still be speaking favorably about you. And that's how you build your network and business. If you're just running over people, trying to make them understand, well, that doesn't leave them feeling good about you. So it's that more you appreciate others, the more they talk about you. Exactly. You are like, right now, I'll, I'll give you an example. When I work with clients and what I tell people, someone is always talking about you. Have you decided what they what they're saying? Your ability to what they're saying is how you treat them. So the way you treat them decides what they say, the way you leave them. My mantra for the last 20 years, you will be better off having met me, period. So that way I know what people are saying about me because I left them better off. Like if you say my name, people go, oh my God, Michelle, oh my God, yeah, I better <laughs> Right, they get excited. Because remember, I told you, what is what do I love about what I do? I'm excited to meet people I've never met before. So it's not disingenuous. I'm not trying to manipulate or work people. It's absolutely part of what makes life fun to me. So finding that thing that you enjoy and then giving that to the world, you don't like, that's how you show up and you illuminate other people through that form of like, it's a kindness, a compassion, a thoughtfulness because you're giving out of yourself. But you don't have anything to give if you haven't filled it up. I.e. going back to the morning routine. That's how you fill yourself up in preparation to have an overflow to give, right? So you're not giving and emptying yourself. You're actually creating this thing, this reciprocity, where you're constantly flowing. And so you always have enough to give. And then you'll be aware when you're by, when you feel drained, 
that's when you go plug back in. You do, you know, little things, quiet time, two minute quiet, five minute meditation. You go fill yourself back up. Then you go back out in your interface. But people just keep telling themselves, I don't have time. I got to get this done. I need to. I have to. That's an empty cup. Yeah. Amazing. So I think once uh, you start follow this kind of uh, mindset, meditation and calming yourself. Yes. I think that's the key. Yes. Again, sales is very emotional. It's very, like I said, a lot of people don't talk about how emotionally it is. And when you are aware what it does to you, right, what it does to your colleagues, what it does to the buyers, and you're able to neutralize, you become powerful. Remember, your soul is energy. By the law of physics, energy cannot be created or destroyed, and it can only be transferred or transformed. So once you become this light, once you start igniting your own energy, you get to go out and transform others. Without that work on yourself, everybody else is transferring their hot mess onto you because you haven't built up your storehouse. You haven't built up your force field, so to speak. I totally agree, Michelle. Sales is transfer of energy. You are transferring your energy to others, especially the positive, the more you give, the positive signals you get. <laughs> exactly. And this is where I found, and interestingly enough, so when you talk, talk about like the, uh, the, F, the DEI and the ethnic diversities and all of that, this ability to be a transformer of more of a compassionate, kind, confident sale actually helps you to move across those lines. People are more likely to be receiving of you regardless of your color because we forget we are mammals and we sense energy immediately. And so people can immediately sense your energy. And you and like I, you'll hear it when you're especially a person who is really good at what you do. People will say things like, man, you know, I like I, there's something about you like they actually can't put their finger on it. Yes. Right. And I'm telling you, the log is it has that happened to you. They're like, there's something about like, oh, my God, like you're just you're just and I almost can't describe it. Yeah. <laughs> people generally corner you when you outshine them. My question is, why are you outshining people? If you're outshining someone, that means you're pushing people down. You're belittling them. My question is, like, if you're shining, why are you take that shine and shining on other people? Wow. It's not going to take away from you. Right. Remember, you're infinite. Like our source is infinite. You can't run out. So like what happens is when people get in these situations, they're thinking, if I do something for someone else, then what about me? Forget you don't have to worry when you actually do the work. You realize that there's always enough. As long as you tap in, it's just going to keep flowing from you. And anything that you do on a regular basis expands. So like I'm, a, I'm, I'm considered a creative catalyst. Like on the teams that I work on, people love having me to come in when they're like doing the thinking and the think tanks, right? I don't care. Somebody's like, you, you're giving it away. What am I giving away? Like if I thought the next person that call, calls me, I'll have just as many new thoughts. The next day I wake up, I'll have just as much more because it does not end. I don't run out. Thoughts become things. Everything wow. that you're looking at right now, Archana, Ravya, Everything you're looking at with your two eyes right now was somebody's thought. Somebody thought, oh, I wonder what if we could 
you know, talk live across the universe, right? <laughs> across the world. You're writing with pens, you're driving in cars, you're ordering stuff online that's getting shipped. Someone thought it was an idea before it became an actual product. So you, it's all, all it is is brain matter. You have the same brain matter in your head. The difference is how you use it. And until you start to believe that you have this infinite capability and that you don't run out and you are a gift, you will always be dragged by the things outside of you instead of ignited by the belief inside of you. Wow. It's so profound. And the last one is about our book, Heels to Deals. Yes. Yes. So Heels to Deals, what I love the most about this book and the story. So I actually started reading a story a day, right? Because it was, I think it's 29, 30 stories in there. I'm like, if I did this every month, like this is one of those things that it's a quick, shot of inspiration to remind me that I, as, as a business owner, I'm constantly doing, uh, putting out proposals. Like I recently had this great opportunity for a proposal and I realized that because the learning curve for it was going to be so great, it was going to take lots of hours that I actually gave it to somebody. I referred them to someone else instead of feeling that that initial thought was, oh my God, what's wrong with you? Why can't you do it? You should do it, right? So I was shooting myself. I was shaming myself. But I realized my priority right now, having relocated to where my family is to help my parents with my disabled sister, I'm 11 age, and I run a business, my priority and my commitment is to my sister. So this book, like reading a story in the book, reminds me that it's okay. It's never going to be perfect, right? Remember, focus on What's, what is your priority? Focus on what you're creating and move in that direction always. What lights me up and ignites me right now is the love I have for my sister because she's been disabled her whole life and things are starting to wean down. And when I look up in 10 years, I will have no regrets. So again, the book has chapter after chapter after chapter reminding me that it's not going to be easy. And if I follow my purpose, my vision, it will always be awesome. Just a glimpse about your chapter, Michelle. Oh, okay. <laughs> so my chapter is turning the uh, impossible into the I'm possible. So when you look at the word impossible, it's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E, right? The word is not so, remember, I come from a background of faith, and, and there's a scripture or in there that says that there is nothing impossible for them that believe. So the word actually, when you add an apostrophe after the I, and you capitalize the P, it's a two degree shift. It becomes I'm possible, which is I am possible. And it's the principle of everything I teach. There is nothing, there is no word such as can't. Can't is conditioning accepts negative thoughts. C-A-N-T, your upbringing and your conditioning accepts negative thoughts. Can is your creativity is actively nurtured. Creativity actively nurtured. When you, act, when you nurture your creativity, you will start to look again and see that this is just a challenge and an opportunity for you to grow in your belief, your capabilities, because your capability is unlimited. And that's what my chapter is about, just giving you insights and sharing that story, story to remind you that there's nothing that's impossible. And it's all conditioning your mind. Exactly. Always. There's no one outside of you telling you, no, stop, don't. Right. In some cases there may be. So my hands went up to the, <laughs> but there's no one outside for most of us. There's no one outside of us 
that's telling us no, stop, don't. And even if they they are, that means that I that person is meant for me to grow in my ability to turn them into an advocate or someone of alliance. Right? Remember, every challenge is an opportunity for you to grow, people included. I always tell me that the most difficult people in my life are my gifts. I used to love the difficult clients. So the ones, the clients that everybody, oh my God, they hate reps. I'm like, oh, oh, oh they haven't met Michelle. <laughs> I would get excited because it was a challenge, right? Everybody else on the, on the team thought these people hated reps. Watch, I'm about to show you how good I am because they're going to fall in love with Michelle. And so my mind had no concept of failure. It, it did not conceive that they would not like me because of what everyone else said. I believe that I am special and I'm created to show and be a testimony of the possibility of who we can be as people when you are kind, compassionate, thoughtful, and loving, and you can turn anyone into your favor. And that's what I would do. And there is a question, uh, the last we will take, uh, Michelle. Any tips for converting more prospective clients? So that's a challenge depending on what industry you are, where your prospect list is coming from, if it's giving to you. The one thing I would say, and you know, if you're cold calling, it's always difficult because we have the, the rate of cold call conversion it continues to decline year over year over year, especially because people are not answering the phone, right? So they're not answering the phone. They got these auto dialers. So it's it's very, very difficult. I would say, you know, focus on learning. If you have the ability to learn more about the prospect before you make the call, that would be my background. Like before I get on any call with any prospect, I looked at their LinkedIn profile and I Google their name and I Google their resume, right? So I make it my business to take in as much information as I can about the prospect. And then I get on the call with the awareness that my brain is infinite and, it, and it'll it'll synthesize. It's going to remind me what I need to be reminded. I don't have a bunch of sheet and it's not scripted. I just take it in and allow myself to be present to that conversation and whatever I need to remember your mind is infinite. It's the storehouse. Just people have not conditioned themselves to utilize the gift of their, their mind in the manner that it will work in your favor. So I would say that do your homework on your prospects. Okay, so Achana says uh, this is mini sales coaching to us. <laughs> oh my God, see? Like this every day. My goal every day is that I bless at least one person. I, I bless a lot of people. Wow. Back when I started Achana and Ravio, I would, how I turn around, because I, I told you, I sucked at sales. If you heard me earlier, when I first started, I sucked at sales. How I turned it around was that I started doing my morning routines, and I decided that every day I would bless somebody. And that became my focus. And then once I, you know, and then it was, and then it wasn't just one person. It was just, how can I leave people better off? And that became a game. I wasn't trying to do it as like a task. It became a fun game to watch people's mouth turn up, right? Like, <laughs> to watch people go from, who are you? Why are you here? To, oh my God, you're just amazing. Are you coming back? Wow. <laughs> That became the game. <laughs> what is that they have to mandatorily follow everyday morning routines? 15 minutes if they oh, want to practice. Minutes. So what I tell people is the one thing, it must include meditation. If you've never meditated, find a guided meditation. And it does not need to be the entire 15 minutes. I encourage that you break it up. There is a book that's called um, Miracle Morning by Hal Elrond. 
Um, and he has an acronym for SAVERS, which is silence, affirmation, visualization, exercise. I forget what the R and S is scribing. And I tell people, you must make the recipe for it. So every one of my clients is 15 minutes and they require that they do some form of meditation. So some people do a five minute one, a 10 minute one, then they journal for five minutes. They'll do a five, 10 minute meditation and they, they say affirmations for five minutes, right? So it must be your own recipe of what you do in that five, that 15 minutes. Because if I tell you what to do, it's not you. It has to be you creating it because that's what cultivates, that's what will pull out of you a level of confidence that I cannot give you if you do what I tell you to do. So I just give you ideas, then you go pick from the menu and you make it your own. And that's where the power comes from because you make that 15 minutes your own. And then you make it non-negotiable. Your brain requires consistency. And your brain has what the ability to have, give compound effect. Compound effect means that it's day after day after day. The minute you miss a day, your critic shows up and reminds you you missed the day. So why it's non-negotiable? Because as long as you don't miss a day, your champion and the cheerleader in your head get louder and louder and louder. And as soon as you miss a day, the critic shows up and goes, hey, you missed a day. <laughs> you suck, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, what we used to say to our, uh, we have a WhatsApp group, Sales Women WhatsApp group. We used to tell to write a gratitude letter. There you go. Oh, <laughs> another, uh, I was, because uh, I talk about gratitude. And I remember I did a presentation for a group of entrepreneurial women. And one of the women reminded me, so this is a trick that I actually forgot, was that she would write a thank you email before she went on the prospecting call. Oh, wow. Because the mind likes, right? Remember, the mind is going to take you wherever your thoughts become things. So her thought was, if I write the thank you before the call, my mind already believes this call is going to come out awesome. But what kind of a letter? Like, just an email. Is- thank you. You're going to, you can change it. Remember, you're not looking, don't become prescriptive. What too many people look at is some exact way to do things. There is never an exact way because what I do is always going to be different from what you do with the next person. You want to become flexible, like hear somebody say, this is what I did. You modify it, do it that way, and then modify it immediately. Because if you do what someone else told you to do, your unconscious mind knows it's not yours. You must make it your own as soon as possible. That's where the power comes from. That's how you build that trust in yourself, because you're trusting yourself to make it your own. You know, Michelle, I somehow feel this uh, podcast is about, we talk more on spiritual, you know, it's a spiritual conversation. Well, you know what? Heidi told me I was a spiritual advisor in sales. <laughs> she's like, you don't teach people to sell. I was like, I do it in a very different way because what I find is, and what I research and as I read and I listen to podcasts and read books, the most successful sellers are not trying to sell. They actually believe that they're an amazing seller. Most successful sellers believe they're amazing. Who wouldn't want to buy from me? They don't get bogged down when somebody doesn't buy from them. They keep going there. Whatever, you didn't buy, somebody's going to buy. That's all mindset. So what I found was everybody else is trying to learn a process to sell. Successful sellers invest in mindset coaching. They invest in uh, performance, high performance coaching, which is all like athletes. The greatest analogy for sales is athletes. 
they see the success. An athlete that's a top performing athlete, they get paid, say, $10 million by the team. And that athlete will still pay for private coaching, even on top of what the team gives them. And that athlete is the first person to show up, the last person to leave, right? And they imagine, they practice and practice and practice until their mind can no longer imagine missing. And that's what people don't understand. It's the same for sales. You are an athlete. You're like an actor. You're performing. The only way you get to an Oscar is by practice. And until you keep worrying about if it's going to be right or it's going to be wrong, the whole point of practice is you just get better and better. There is no perfect. It's just practice. And every time you do it, you just get better. But in the beginning, you're going to suck. Everybody sucks in the beginning. And that's what people keep thinking. There's some magic cutoff when you stop sucking. Nobody can tell you when. All I can tell you is to keep practicing, keep believing, keep doing the work, and you're going to wake up one day and you're going to go, oh my God, I'm awesome. That's that's how it happens for everybody. I believe in all this. Whatever you said, yeah. I believe. That's why I'm able to connect with you. You know, I'm also a spiritual person. Even in this book, uh, what I, I've written, Cumulative Selling, that is what I want to convey. Yes. Selling means it's just not the sales skills. There are so many aspects. The universe, the nature, the power, your thoughts, you know, your mindset, your integrity. I think I can really relate to you. <laughs> exactly, right? And I'm so excited. I'm ordering your book because I'm going to add it to mine and I can't wait to get it so I can do my little post and hold it up. <laughs> sure, thank you. I think that's the end of the podcast yeah, and well, thank you. It's yeah. really amazing. You know, I've seen a glimpse of Oprah. Truly, it's just not to boost you because, uh, you know, the way she, the spiritual explanation, what she gives, I could see from you. <laughs> thank you. And I'll tell you, that's not the first time I've heard that, right? <laughs> And it's, and I think because, you know, like uh, you guys at out, you know, we can wrap up, but I tell people that last time that I had that bout with depression where I was diagnosed, I had a fiance who passed away and my whole vision, we had talked about our life growing old together, everything, right? He's the only guy I ever wanted to marry in my entirety of my life. I never wanted to marry anyone else but him. Didn't even think I was ever going to marry. And here he came along and, you know, we were best friends and buddies and got got sick and two and a half months later he was dead and so it really threw me for a loop so I realized when I came out of the depression that I asked myself why what was it about him that you love so much that made you want to end your life and then mm-hmm. I, when I realized what I love so much about him was that he was unconditional in who he wow. thought I was he just whatever I said I wanted he would help me he would support me he would buy it for me he was just this really gift that I got from God. And I decided that that what the world misses is that. And so in how I teach people how to be confident is that whatever your gift is, that you give it away freely and fully. Just give it. Don't worry about where it's going to come back or who's going to do what or who didn't do what. Just give of it. Love whatever, whoever you are and give that completely and freely. Your life will turn around so favorably you'll forget when it wasn't even awesome. It will be so quick. You will forget when life wasn't awesome. It's really awesome what you said. You just unconditionally give. Do not expect anything like whether this person should appreciate me, that should happen, this did not happen. I think that creates a lot of worries. You know, when you give, 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 just let go of all the things, whatever you have. Yeah, exactly. And I love that, you know, one of the things that I noticed about you when we talked, 
you're constantly looking at how can I help women in sales? How can I help women, you know, who are working from home get and create some type of income and employment so that they can help elevate their family circumstances? You're a true, beautiful example of someone who just constantly thinks about how can I give? Right. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, like this is such a blessing to be on with you. Thanks a lot. Because my spiritual leader, you know, my spiritual guru, he used to say, you, you should always ask questions. How this body, this soul can be useful on this yeah. planet? You know, if you keep asking such questions, uh, you keep willing to give to others. Exactly. Thank you, Michelle. It's such a wonderful to have you today. Yeah. Thank you as well. Thank you for listening to Sell Like Her podcast. Do subscribe and share so that it reaches the maximum women to get benefit by listening successful women's stories. Let's join together and support each other to change the face of sales. Meet you in the next episode. Until then, bye. Take care.